Welcome to Wholehearted Coaching, the podcast. If you're looking for more purpose, more passion, more joy in your life, then you have come to the right place. I am your host, coach and life alchemist, Sharin Eskandani, and I have worked with thousands of people showing them how to create their dream lives while also living their dream lives. This podcast is where mindset, mindfulness, and manifestation meet. Together, we're going to release limiting beliefs, put your dreams into motion, all while prioritizing your ease, rest, and joy. Let's do this, love. Hi, love. Welcome to Wholehearted Coaching, the podcast. This is where we take a deeper dive into my Mindset Monday post, which you can read on Instagram at Wholehearted Coaching. Or if you want to go even deeper into this week's episode and get my free weekly journal prompts, sign up for my email list and you'll be able to explore the topics we're talking about in this episode even further. You can do that in the show notes or by heading to my website, wholehearted-coaching.com. And if you're interested in working with me, whether that's one-on-one in one of my group programs or one of my transformational courses, you can head to my website, wholehearted-coaching.com slash offerings to find out more. And of course, you can also head to the show notes and all of this information will be waiting for you there. All right, love, welcome to this week's episode. So we are continuing our Courageous conversation series with the incredible April Kaganich. Now, if you've listened to the podcast for a while, you know that I generally don't do interviews. This podcast is usually just me. But for this summer, I wanted to do something different. I wanted to interview women that I feel embody what courage looks like. I wanted to highlight their stories because these are women that if you looked at them from the outside, you would say, oh my gosh, they're amazing. They're incredible. Look at them. They've made it. And sometimes when we put people on this pedestal, we forget that they're people, that they have worries and fears. We forget that their journey towards their big thing was paved with so much difficulty and challenge. And these courageous conversations are all about the journey towards their big thing. I wanted to highlight what that journey is like, the beauty, the joy, the difficulty, the heartbreak of going after your dreams. It is the most incredible journey, but it is also one with a lot of challenges. So these conversations are very vulnerable, very open, and very honest, showing you the real story, not the story that we get to see on Instagram or on these people's amazing websites, but the real story of who they are and how they got here. Because I have a feeling that as you listen to these conversations, you're going to realize that you have so much in common with these amazing human beings and that going after your dreams is scary, is difficult, and incredible for every damn one of us. April Kaganich was born in L.A. but raised in a suburb of Detroit. April knew from a young age that she was very passionate about hair and art. Where she grew up, there weren't many people that had hair like hers, so at the age of 10, she started cutting her own hair. April has since made a name for herself in Austin, Texas, as a texture specialist. When you accept and embrace your natural hair, you accept and embrace yourself. 
She loves being able to help people transition away from chemicals like relaxers or heat damage curls to embrace how their hair grows out of their hair. When she isn't doing hair, you can find her with her head in a book or a paintbrush in her hand, traveling to different countries, road trips, spending time with her family and pets, going to museums, drinking too much coffee, roller skating, or cooking are some of her favorite things. April hopes to one day open a boutique salon and spend half her time behind the chair and the other half traveling. What I love about this conversation is that while April knew from a really young age that she wanted to do hair, her timeline was really tested. Because of personal circumstances, her family, she kept having to put off cosmetology school. And, you know, this happens often with our dreams that our timelines keep getting pushed back. And what's really powerful about April's story is that she didn't make that mean anything about herself. Because things kept getting delayed, she didn't think to herself, oh, this is never going to happen or I'm never going to do this or I'm so unmotivated, I'm so unfocused. No, April always kept her eye on her dream, but knew that there were some pivots and shifts in the journey and that it would take a little bit longer for her to get there. Her story is one of patience, of resilience, and really doing the damn thing in a way that feels best for you. April now has this incredible business. I got my hair cut by April, and it's a business that is so boundaried, boundaried around protecting her energy, her loves, her passions, her hobbies. Love, I cannot wait for you to hear this interview with April Kaganich. I am so excited to introduce you all to April, who is our featured guest today. And what is so wild about my story of meeting April is like, I literally met her two weeks, three weeks ago. Yeah, I think it was like three weeks ago. I, it's seriously like my friend said, Blur's Day. I like can't keep track of anything. <laughs> I'm like, I think I got back last week. So April, I've been starting off this series by telling people how I know the person I'm interviewing, how I met them. And so April is the self-proclaimed, but also I would say, like everyone would agree, curl whisperer. She is, if you have hair that has any texture or pattern or wave to it, go check out April's work. We're going to have her, um, all her information in the show notes. Um, and she'll talk about it. She cuts all types of hair, but as a person with curly hair, as a person who's always felt like I've never gotten the haircut that I've wanted, I've been following April for forever. And she like does these, it's like, it's almost like I don't buy sneakers, but I feel like this is what sneakerheads do. Oh yeah. I wait for like, <laughs> the drop because April will be like, okay, everyone, I'm opening up my books for like California for LA next week. Get on my email. And you have to like literally get on that list and sign up within like almost five minutes. Right. It just books yeah. up. It's great. I mean, I'm always like surprised and grateful, but yeah, it's pretty fast, <laughs> but it is a testament to her work. It's a testament to who she is as a person. So I booked an appointment with her to get my hair cut. She gave me the best haircut ever. And as I was sitting in her chair, as you know, I think some of the greatest, you know, people who work in salons are some of the greatest conversationalists. I have some of the greatest conversations there. And getting to know April, I was like, oh shoot, I have to share April's story. <laughs> so April, thank you so, so much for being here. And as I was at the salon, I just was really 
I, what I loved about your story is that you are a multi-passionate, multi-creative person. And at this point in your life, I feel like it doesn't seem like you shy away from that or make excuses for that. Like you're just very much your own person and you've created this career for yourself in which you don't have to compromise who you are, what you believe in and how you want to live your life. Mm -hmm. And I really would love for people to understand how you got here. So April, my first question to you is, I always think it's really important for us to understand how we grew up. Cause I think how we grew up informs what we believe is possible for us or what we sometimes think maybe isn't possible for us and how we have to break out of that. So can you tell me a little bit about like little April, how she grew up, what she saw, what her <laughs> life was like. So tell me, tell me about that. Oh man. So in regards to like getting to my career now, I mean, little April had hair that she did not understand. <laughs> you know, I was born in LA, but we moved to a suburb of Detroit when I was five and the neighborhood was predominantly white. I think there at the time when we first moved in, there was one other black family across the street from us. And we were the only interracial family. So my dad's Serbian, my mom's black. My mom is the oldest of nine and I have 36 cousins. So I was around a lot of people that looked different for me all the time, you know, but they looked the same because they're my family. Right. And so I think the hard thing was when I got to a certain age, I was just thinking, who's going to do my hair? You know, my mom's only going to do it for so long, but I've got to start doing it myself. And I didn't trust anybody because I felt like if nobody looks like me or I don't see hair like mine in a salon or walking around, like, why would I go there? So I started cutting my own hair at 10. What? <laughs> yeah. My mom was not happy about it, but hey, we've we've had our conversations. It's in the past. But yeah, I mean, I cut it myself and I didn't do that bad of a job, I guess, because like I didn't get made fun of or anything. <laughs> but um, I was very, very aware. Like even my mom says she's like, you were really quiet for a long time. And she's like, and I could tell you were just observing mm -hmm. your surroundings and everything around you before you would speak. Um, and now I just can't shut up. So it's like, I just talk so much, but it's really true. I'm always looking around me and I'm very, I always try to be self-aware and at a point I think, or to a fault, I can be too self-aware, but, um, yeah, that led me to wanting to do hair. So at that time I was in middle school. Um, when I got closer to high school, I had friends just asking me like, Hey, you want to do my hair for homecoming or snow coming? I think you only have snow coming in the Midwest. So <laughs> I was like, people on the West Coast don't know about that. Um, but then, yeah, and then my friends were like, you want to cut my hair? Do you want to dye my hair? Because they would see that I was doing my own. And at my high school, you could actually sign up to go to cosmetology school, like at the end of your day or whatever. Um, we had a lot of trade options for people, I should say. And so I was in high school, like I was a freshman in 1999, graduated in 2003. So you had this option, I think it's sophomore, junior year. And I talked to my parents about it and they're like, nope, mm. you know, hairdressers are dumb. They don't make money. You need to focus on your art in a different form and make sure you go to college. Mm. You know, so even though I had my dreams crushed a little early, <laughs> I still pursued it later in life. Like I went to art school. And I still did my friend's hair. And I even had strangers that would ask me like friends of a friend or whatever. So it was just really, really interesting that all of this passion came from me realizing how different I was from everyone else. And it was mainly, I wanted to make sure that people like me didn't have to feel that way. 
if they mm. went to the salon. You know, I didn't want anyone to feel out of place. I wanted people to feel welcome. And that was just like, even in school, you know, I, if I saw people getting picked on, bullied, you know, I wouldn't let that happen. I would stop it. So I think that just comes from me wanting people to feel like they're accepted, you know, and nothing's wrong with you. You know, your hair is not crazy. You shouldn't be made to feel like you sit down and someone just complaining about how much hair you have or saying all these misconceptions that people have about hair, especially when it comes to melanated people that have Mm. curly hair. I feel like we definitely get more discrimination in salons based on our hair type. So I know that was long-winded, but. No, (laughs) and I want to dig into that. Well, because I, you know, something I really realized is that now as a, as a business owner, especially, I realized that like people come to me for the reasons that I, like the things I used to be so ashamed of. Mm-hmm. When I was, or I used to try to hide when I was younger, but like people now that's my superpower. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what I'm hearing in your story too. It's like those things that made us so different and so weird. Or we, that's now what we make our bread and butter on, which is beautiful. Right. And yeah. I see that in your work. Thank you. Yeah. It's just one of those things. Like I feel really lucky because my mom, she did not relax her hair and she would not let me relax my hair, but I still wanted my hair to be straight. So mm. My hair was curly until like, I would say like fifth grade was when my mom started letting me get in it like blow dried smooth. And then I think flat irons came out because she used a hot comb and I used to like sneak in and try to use it on my hair when she wasn't home or something. (laughs) But um, yeah, I didn't, I didn't like my hair and I didn't know why I didn't like it. It wasn't, it wasn't like I didn't like a part of myself. Like I was proud of my mom and I was proud of my dad. I was proud of being half black and proud of being Serbian. And I more identified as a black person. So it was one of those things where I felt like I wanted to run my fingers through my hair or just like, I wanted it to be straight because then there just really weren't any products for curly hair. I mean, there were, but it was like, I don't know. They just didn't work for all hair types. You know, if you look at a, a product bottle in the store, it's not very inclusive. It's not made for people that have curly hair when you read the directions like how to apply it's like towel dry the hair apply this right like damn like why would you tell it's like no you're gonna like this huge with no definition but you know it's how it goes so I want to talk about like when you went to art school and your parents kind of pushed you towards getting quote-unquote higher education which I think for me as a Middle Eastern woman immigrant first gen Like that was the thing in our household too. Like, I don't care what you do, but you're going to college, you're going to get a degree. And if even better, you're going to get a master's, you know, like very much pushing that higher education on us. Mm -hmm. So for you kind of going to art school, tell me about like what that was like, that process of being like, okay, we're not going to do cosmetology, I guess. And we're going to do this. Tell me about that. Oh man. So I'm a very, very strong-willed and stubborn person. (laughs) So you know, we, we, me and my dad mostly exchanged, had the exchange about no cosmetology school. And he was like, focus on your art. So mainly I am a painter and I draw, I mostly draw more than I paint, but I do a lot of things. I love charcoal. I love pastel. Like I knit anything, fibers, fabrics, ceramics. I do it all. But my main thing that I wanted to do was get my degree in fine arts. So then that led to another disagreement. My dad's like, oh no, 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 no. You're not going to draw and paint all day. You're going for graphic design. You need to use the computer because at that time, like the computer was everything. And I was like, are you serious? I'm just, I hate computers. Like I want to make it with my hands. And so 
my parents were helping me with school. So it was one of those things, well, okay, fine, I'll go for graphic design. And so as I was applying for schools and all the things you do in preparation, I just was thinking like, I'm going to do hair one day. Like I'm mm-hmm. going to get to cosmetology school. And the funny thing is I ended up dropping out of art school halfway through. Wow. And it was a mixture of things. It was like some health issues, but it was also, I was a little cocky. And so <laughs> like there was a few classes where I was like, why am I taking this again? Like I've already done this. And as I'm older and have reflected on that, it was like April, not everybody had the same programming that you had in high school. You know, everyone comes from different backgrounds. So it's almost like your first year is starting over, mm-hmm. you know, for most people, it's like, start from this. Like, I just didn't want to draw cubes in two point perspective, like 500 cubes in two point perspective for my homework. Mm-hmm. I was just like, this is ridiculous. So <laughs> I dropped out and I moved back to Michigan and I kept telling myself I'd get to hair school. I just needed to save up the money. And I kept like saying that to myself, you know, like I came back to Michigan at 19, kept happening, kept happening, kept happening. I didn't get to hair school until I was 26 and I had already moved to Texas. Yeah. Whoa, 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 whoa. Wait, what happened? What happened in those seven years of what, what? Work, where were you? Tell me about that. Tell me about those seven years. Oh my gosh. I was like, I'm going to go back to what I know. So I worked random retail jobs. You know, I worked at BCBG. I was working at malls. You know, when I moved back, I was in Macomb for a little bit. That's where I grew up. But then I was in St. John's and Lansing for a little bit because I dated someone for a couple of years that was, we were dating while I was in college. So then I broke up with him and moved back to Southeastern Michigan, which is like Detroit area. And that's when I got a job at Potbelly. So I went to service, like I went to food because I mean, I got my first job at 14. I was a bagger at Meyer, And then when I was 16, I was working at pizza places. Like I worked at Jets Pizza and I worked at Cinnabon at the mall. Like I knew I could save money and I could always get a job, but my thing is, if I'm going to work any kind of job, I don't care what it is, I'm going to be the best one at it. And that's <laughs> what happened at Potbelly. Like after a month, my boss was like, they're talking about you. Like our regional manager wants to come meet you because I was the girl who could get everyone's order taken like down this line that would form. Our store was so busy and everything would flow nicely. And they wow. never had that. And so they're like, we want you to train people. So then they promoted me to this thing called the dream team. So I got to travel, which was awesome to other states and other cities and work at stores and train new employees and even managers. And then they're like, we want you to be a manager. So I was making salary in my early twenties at this job and I had health insurance and 401k. And like, I always tell people, I'm like, if I'm picking trash, I'm going to be the best trash picker. Like, that's just how it goes. That's okay. April for you, right? What was going on through your mind though? Like knowing that you ultimately wanted to go to cosmetology school, was there this belief that like, Oh, this is just like, uh, just this little side thing until I do the thing. Were you at all worried? Were you all like, Hey, maybe we need to refocus on this. Mm-hmm. What was going on for you? Like internally? So I will say like, I was never worried that I wasn't going to get there. If anything, I would have those moments of like, you need to get your shit together. Hmm. I don't swear, but (laughs) you can swear. You can totally swear. It's like, you need to focus on why you're working this job, which is you want to get to cosmetology school. And I did look into it a few times in Michigan, but the only options I had were Aveda schools. Hmm. And when I looked at the curriculum, 
there wasn't much about texture. Right. Like from what I did learn when I did go to hair schools, texture is what determines every single thing you do. It determines an appropriate hairstyle for someone. It determines how you formulate your color. And so I didn't want to go to a school that wasn't going to focus on what was most important to me, which was hair that was not straight. So it was one of those things where I was working towards a goal and I just had to make sure I wasn't judging myself and how long it took me to get there. Because I knew if I really wanted to do it, I would do it. I think that's something so important for people to hear that the timeline sometimes isn't what we think it's going to be or what, you know, yeah. and to not judge ourselves during those moments, but to also really be reminding ourselves that like, we're going to do it. We're going to get there. And like, this isn't taking away from yeah. this. It's just, I'm taking my time and, and finding the great, the perfect program for yourself, which I think is so important. Cause l- let me tell you, Aveda products, they smell good. <laughs> yeah. But they... Don't do anything. They don't do it. I shouldn't say that. There's some now that are better, but at the time. Oh my God. Back in the day and they push it on you. And like, as a curly tech, it would just be the, anyways. So I love that, that you had those moments of like, oh crap, maybe we need to focus again, but like ultimately knowing was going to happen. So then tell me what happens next in your story. So you're this manager of Potbelly getting benefits, salary, traveling. Yes. What happens next? Oh my gosh. So I think I started working at Potbelly. I'm so bad with remembering the age. I feel like I was 20 or 21 by the time I got here. And this is a really funny story. So I had dated this guy before I left for art school Mm -hmm. and he wanted to come with me. And I didn't want him to go, not because I didn't care for him. It was just more of like, I wanted to focus on school. I wanted it to be my thing. Like I had to do this on my own. And we ended up running into each other. And it was so random and strange because when I ran into him, he was with a regular that used to come into my store. And it turns out that was his boss. So it was the weirdest, like, and we hadn't seen each other since I was 17, since I left for art school. So we ended up reconnecting and I eventually, like after like a year of mini drama between us, because I won't get into that story. <laughs> That's um, another podcast episode. Yeah. <laughs> As the world turns, I ended up telling him like, I, I'm going to move. I can't be in Detroit anymore. It was really sad. It was when the recession was starting. And so a lot of people were losing their homes in Detroit. You know, the big three, they were having issues. People were getting laid off. And my job was secure because, hey, everyone needs to eat. But I just didn't want to be there anymore. I was Mm. kind of sick of the winters. Like, I just needed a change. And I was like, I'm going to move to Oakland and go to hair school. And you can come with me or you don't have to come with me. And we decided, like, he was like, I'm. I want to come with you, but why not Austin, Texas? And I was just like, absolutely not. Like, (laughs) I'm not moving to Texas. I was like, I feel like they still hunt down people just because they're black and brown. I was like, ah! But, you know, I did some research and Austin seemed like the better choice economically. Mm. So I ended up in Austin because of this person. And I'm very thankful for that. And so that's when I got into hair school was a couple years after moving here. So I totally forgot what the question was. No, 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 no. I mean, that's the question, whatever the answer is. So, okay. So you got to Austin, but you didn't know 
you moved here because you needed like a new environment, a new space. Yeah. And I didn't have anything. Like I got rid of my car. Like wow. I took the stuff I had with me. I moved with no job. And that was the thing is Potbelly. I asked, could I transfer with them until I found something? And they didn't, they were making me at the time training me to be a general manager to have oh, my own wow. And I gave them plenty of notice before I was leaving. And they're like, we don't have any openings for you. The only thing we could do is like demote you. So you would be getting an hourly rate instead of salary. I'm like, absolutely not. Like you can't be a manager and then go back down. Right. I can't. Cause I'm like, I know how to do this stuff. And if they're not doing it right, I'm just going to like freak out my little Virgo mind. So I quit. I didn't have a job. I had money saved up. So it took me a little bit to find a job, but I went to what I knew. I went to food. So wow. I did that. Yeah. For a couple of years until I got into hair school. And so in those couple of years, were you saving up? Were you trying to find the right school? Was that kind of what was going on in Austin? So my first job there was this drive through salad place. <laughs> I love it. I, I like healthy eating. So this is totally my vibe. And I remember one day uh, there was this woman in the drive through and we were talking while her salad was being made because I was ringing her up like I was a cashier and I was asking her what she did. And she's like, oh, I do hair. And I was like, oh, where'd you go to school? And she told me Avenue 5. And I was like, well, how much did it cost? And at the time she was like, it's five grand. She's like, but I think it changed because they're a Sassoon partner school now, mm. which was what I wanted to have a Sassoon training, like Sassoon cutting style. And so her putting that in my mind, then I was like, okay, I can do this. So I was just focusing on saving because I worked at this place for a little bit. Then I ended up leaving and working for another restaurant chain in the city. And I ended up becoming a manager really quickly and then they gave me my own store eventually. And I did that until I just was like, I need to get to hair school. Mm. So I quit. I worked a $7 an hour job as a receptionist at the first salon I ever worked at. And I started bartending and I didn't get into school. I didn't start it for probably like almost a year later. Wow. I would go to work at the salon. I didn't have a car the whole time, by the way. So I would go to work at the salon. I'd have a bag of my like clothes for school and my bartending clothes if I bartended after and all my food. Wow. So I would get up so early, go to work, go to school, go bartend. Wow. I probably got about two hours of sleep a night for 18 months. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah. So but you just, you wanted to make it work and you're like, I'm, I'm going to make this happen. Yeah. I don't even care. I never looked tired. I put on lipstick. <laughs> it was like... <laughs> never complained. I was just like, I'm going to do it, you know? And I just wanted it so bad mm. and I knew it was going to pay off. If I could just see it through, if I could just, if you're consistent and you give yourself a routine, you can get through anything like that. If you're not getting a lot of sleep, it's not ideal. It's not the best thing to like kill yourself to make something happen. But at the same time, I'm like, how bad do you want this? Mm. And how quick do you want it? And that was the thing I was like, okay, I don't have a lot of money. So what I have to do is like, I need to work two jobs. I need to do this. Like I do need a car eventually. So I don't have to keep getting up so early. Cause that was part of not getting sleep. Right. It's like you get home. Right. Like, and I had friends that would drive me sometimes, which was nice. Or I would get a little car to go or take the bus or like splurge for a cab, you know, but it was just one of those things where I was so focused. I did not care what I was putting my body through at the time. Wow. So after you finished school, what happens then? 
I kind of like set myself up strategically. So when mm-hmm. I went and started working at the salon, when I had my interview with the owner, I told her I eventually wanted to do hair. I wanted to get to hair school. And she was like, that's great. Cause then you could be an assistant. Like I would be her assistant and then go from there. And that's what happened. So when I started school, I started off as part-time because I thought that was going to be best to like keep my job at the salon and then be able to bartend. And when I got to a certain point, like closer to the end of it, I think it was like two months before or maybe four. I really can't remember the timeline, but the girl that was assisting the owner was going to be done in November. Mm-hmm. And I was like, crap, I won't be done with school if I stay part-time. So I went to the admin at the school and I was like, can I switch to full-time? After I had talked to Urban Betty about, hey, can I switch my hours? Like, can I work in the afternoon, shorter hours? You know, because I want to switch so I can get done on time to assist you. So Urban Betty said, yes, thank goodness. And then the school let me switch to daytime. So it was a little bit better for me. So I would go to school during the day and then I would go to Urban Betty for a little bit and then I could go bartend if I needed to. So I did finish two months early and I was able to start assisting like a couple weeks after. I graduated. I had to take my state board because you take a written test at a thousand hours. And then when you graduate from school and you've paid all the money you owe them, they release your hours and you get to take your practical, which is where you're physically doing things and getting graded by a proctor. And it's like eight hours. It's they've changed it since then. So, wow, this is like a real, like, wow. I did not realize how complicated and difficult it is to actually get your license. Yeah, you get in Texas, it's 1500 hours to get your cosmetology license. Now, California was actually the highest requirement for hours in the country until recently. Their governor dropped it to 900 or 1000, which to me, I don't think it's enough. I think for some people, there's so much to learn. I think for a lot of people, because you don't just learn about hair, you're learning about chemistry, you're learning about electricity, you're learning so much, you're learning about skin diseases and disorders like nails and when you're a cosmetologist, you're not just doing hair. You can do facials, you can do makeup, you can do nails. You're just not going to that certain focus nail tech class right. which you could take, but it's a lot of information and you can really damage. You can right. hurt people. You can hurt their skin. You could ruin their hair. Yeah. There's so many things. Like if you don't know what you're doing, it's just, it's a hazard. We work with disinfectants that are used, they're hospital grade. Just the fact that you can spread so much bacteria and people can get diseases and I'm just like, "Mm -mm." (laughs) (laughs) so, I mean, okay, April. So you like, you did the damn thing. Like you went to cosmic, what was that like for you to like finally realize that you, you did it. Like you did the thing that you'd set out to do for so long. I was so happy. And like, my school was really cool. Like I was one of the older people there, (laughs) but it was I was so happy to be there. I felt like this was what I was supposed to be doing. And Mm. I think everything just really fell into place. Like, I know that's cliche, but it's, it's so true. Like I didn't have any issues in school. I would always pass everything. I was so passionate. I would get so frustrated if I didn't get something right, right away. And I'm a lefty. And so there weren't a lot of lefties in my class, but I remember my first teacher in hair school, she was a lefty, but could cut with right and left. So anytime there was something she was teaching us, she would show me how I was supposed to hold my hands. And so that was very helpful because I'd be like, wait, I know I can flip it, but this still doesn't feel weird. She's right. like, you know what I mean? Wow. Mm-hmm. And I would imagine, because now the April that I know, like you just travel 
all over. You kind of go to the salons that you like. It seems like you set your own schedule. Mm-hmm. How did it morph from, because I also know like, you know, with my own business too, you're constantly reassessing because there's a way that people generally do it, right? With, I think like with hairstylists, there's this thing, you're in a salon, this is how you do it. And I don't see you doing that. It's you creating what feels good for you. So how did you get to that place of you doing the work that feels the best for you within your field? What's interesting is like when you're done with hair school, you're done. You have to figure out what you want to do. Very few people will go and just do their own thing where they open their own salon or they booth rent is what we call it. So there's many ways to work in this industry, but most people, when they're first out of school, they're either going to go to a commission salon, which means they have a receptionist that books you appointments and you only get a percentage of the services you make. And then there's independent contracting or booth renting, which is technically what I do now, but I'll get to that a little bit later, where you are responsible for everything, which means Mm -hmm. you get your color, you book your appointments. Like if nobody comes in, you make $0. You have to generate your own traffic. So when I was in hair school, I actually had started using Instagram at the time, which I think it was like newer And I was posting my pictures from school, like my mannequin heads or like my clients that would come in. And so when I got out of school, the plan was to assist. You typically assist for a year. And I assisted at the salon I was the receptionist at. And after that year was up, then I got a chair. So I was able to work. And while I was assisting, I would take clients after I was done assisting. You know me. Mm. over So... (laughs) I'd work from, I think it was like eight to six or something. And then I would take people until maybe eight or 10 o'clock. Wow. I wasn't bartending after because I was still bartending. I continued to bartend while I was assisting because I I needed the money. Mm -hmm. And I just focused on building up my clientele. And one of the things I wanted to do was just to have a more inclusive space. And I knew I wanted to be my own boss eventually. So when I got on the floor on my own from assisting, I was already booking about two, three months in advance, which wow. is pretty impressive for somebody who's like new, but that's because I was working after I would work with my boss. And then at the bar, if people came up to me and they're like, I like your hair and they, like their energy seemed cool. I'd be like, oh, I do hair. Come see me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it was all word of mouth. Like I wasn't doing any kind of marketing besides Instagram. And like my clients would be like, Hey, you should go see this person. So, you know, I started getting booked out more and more. And I knew eventually I wanted to go out on my own because I wanted to keep most of my money. Yeah. So it was a great experience for me to work in a salon setting like that because, one, I learned so much. It's like the owner of the salon was great. We had education constantly. It helped me think about different things too. Like I'd be like, okay, this was a straight haired model, but I could do this on curly hair. Mm -hmm. And also it was like, color classes too. So that's really helpful as well. So I eventually went out on my own, I think three years after I was on the floor on my own and I found a salon, um, someone I knew had a space and they had a chair and I was like, okay, I need to do an LLC. I need to do this. Like I found an accountant. I was doing all these things so I could be set up properly. Mm. And because I was booking out so far, I was like, I can do this. I was terrified. It's like, what if I leave and nobody comes with me? Mm. You know? And there's also sometimes in the salon industry, there's certain owners that let their egos get in the way when people leave. So they won't let you take any of your contacts. They won't tell your clients where you went. 
I feel very lucky to be very clear and honest with people that I've worked with and are in my life. So my boss was very, very sweet and was like, Hey, we'll even make an email for you if you want to just have something to say. And, you know, I really appreciate that. So all of my clients came with me, which I did not expect at all. Cause you know, you start thinking like, okay, if I do this and I'm raising my prices, like they're not going to want to stay with me. And, And you're putting yourself as like, this is your only value. And it's like, that's not true. Like people like you, they like what you do. It's not necessarily going to happen. If it does, it's okay. Yeah. You know, because people are allowed to leave if they want to, they're not yours. They don't belong to you. And so, yeah, that's when I started booking out like six months in advance and then eight. And I was like, holy crap, what is happening? <laughs> you know, Like, this is crazy. So I was doing that for a little bit, like I think three years before I got into my own studio. So that's what I've been doing the last two and a half years. I've just been in my own private studio and that allows me to like travel as long as I pay my rent, that's fine. But I had to, you know, put the furniture in there, like create the whole vibe. Like I just want to make sure the bottom line is I want my clients to feel comfortable. I want them to be happy. I want them to have good hair. And I'm always terrified of everything, right? Like I'm just like, you know, every time you raise your prices, which people need to remember, you need to raise your prices. You're your own boss. Who's giving you your raise? It's you. And if you're constantly putting yourself through training or education or just whatever, it's important to realize like you need to pay yourself what you feel you're worth and know that that's okay. And if people say that this is too expensive or this or that, it's like, it's not too expensive. It's just not in their budget. Mm-hmm, because mm-hmm. we all know that you can make adjustments to do what you want. <laughs> so it's one of those things, like I'm always thinking about, am I good enough for this? It's like the imposter syndrome thing, thing that like pops in from time to time. But then it's like, you have to stop doubting yourself all the time because there's somebody else out there not doing as good of a job as you. And they're not doubting themselves and they're charging probably two or three times more than what you charge. Oh my God. A thousand percent. I love that you're bringing this up April. Cause from the outside looking in, like I'm like, April suffers from self-doubt and like questions for pricing. Like there's just something so assured and grounded about you and the way that you present you and your work that, you know, just hearing this right now, I'm like, what? April? April's <laughs> like, it's just, I'm like, duh, she should be charging that and some, you know what I'm saying? But it's just, it's so funny because I feel like every time you level up in any way as a, as a human, there's going to be that fear. And I think the power of what you do is that you don't give into or listen to the fear or let the the fear Mm -hmm. limit you. You just kind of acknowledge it's there, but then you do the damn thing anyway. Right. Yep. But because I will say when I have listened to that fear, that's when I've had the situations where I'm like, see, this is why you don't do that. This is why you don't let someone book this type of appointment. If you've never met them, because it is, you will have those situations where you're like, why did I compromise what I do? Why did I compromise for this person? Or just to try to like that whole mentality of like, I need more, you know, like I want to make sure that I'm constantly people pleasing, you know, and it's, and I've gotten to the point with the money part of it where I'm like, nope, this is what it is. Like it takes this time. Like, and I don't even explain it. I'm like, if that's, you know, someone's like, I don't want to pay that. That's okay. I will gladly recommend something else, but I will tell you like the times I've had that happen, I've had those people come back. Right. It's one of those things. It's like a constant work. You have to just tell yourself you are enough, Mm. you're worth it and it's okay. You know, 
I just think that's so powerful to hear you say that, right? I just think that everyone at every level, like I always say, you can't out success your way out of like self-doubt or fear. It's just, it's just a part of the human experience, right? And what I see in your work and what as, as a business and a human owner that I really am inspired by is I feel like you're very boundaried around mm-hmm. your time and the way that you work, right? Like you're like, my books are open on this day. I have eight appointments. This is how you're going to do it. This is how you're going to pay there are some really clear boundaries that you've set up that obviously serve you as you. Because I sometimes think when you start your own dream, you can sometimes be serving the dream so much that you forget that your dream is also supposed to be in service of you, Uh right? And I see that in the way that you do your your work. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Did you know that? Or is that something that you learned to do? I learned, I learned the (laughs) hard way. I mean, man, I, I didn't start having online booking until this last year. Well, how I, would people book with you? I would pre-book them. Oh yeah. my gosh. So, and I would, you know, there's only so much one person can do. And that's my own fault for taking on too much. You know, emails would fall through the cracks or someone would be like, Hey, I, you know, did you book me for this? It's like, Oh yeah, I did. Like I've been doing hair for almost 10 years. And this is the first year that I've made people book their own appointments. And let me tell you my body, like the amount of, yeah, I'll do it. I'll do it. I'll do it. All that, that happened until a year ago. I kept pushing myself and I realized I'm like, April, your clients know that you appreciate them. You don't have to do everything for everybody else all the time. Mm. You know? And that one thing that I'm really big on is if you don't take a break, your body will tell you when to take a break. And that's yeah. definitely happened to me. When the first space that I went out on my own to I was only supposed to work four days a week. That was my, my schedule. Well, that turned into five days, six, because, oh, I don't have room for you because my schedule's booking out so far. So why don't I just come in on this day? Okay. I'm already coming on this day. Why don't you come in too? I ended up in the hospital three times. No, April. Mm -hmm. I ended up getting diagnosed with three autoimmune diseases. It started off as one. Wow. Two came later that we're all because of this one <laughs> and it, it affects your relationships. Like it affects your personal, you know, your intimate relationships. It's something that you don't see when you're in it. And yeah. you're like, you're like, well, I'm trying to do this. Like, can't you understand what I'm trying to do? And it's like, you can't, it's not healthy one. And you're neglecting the people that you care about. Yeah. And you, your hobbies. Yeah. I love to read. I love to do art. The first couple of years of doing hair on my own, I didn't draw or paint once. Like I probably read like 25% of the amount of books I normally read in a year. Like, and I would just come home and I'd be exhausted because I'd be working 12, 14 hours a day because I'm just like, I'll stay late for you. It's fine. Like, and I, I love all of my clients. Like I will say, I feel like one of the luckiest stylists in the world because every single person that comes to see me is incredible. And Mm -hmm. I can say that like all these memes or whatever (laughs) that people post about clients and like, they're funny, but I don't have to deal with that. Like I really, I don't know what happened where I hit the lottery, but I seriously don't have any clients that are like those stereotypes that you hear about when you're going to hair school and you work in salons and you see it. So I had to tell myself what I said earlier. It's like, your clients will love you. If you Mm. take a break, it's fine. You can totally do that. I even had clients tell me like, you need to slow down. Like Mm. you need to rest. Like, are you going to take some time off? You know? 
So it's one of those things where it took me a while. I have terrible boundaries. I still do. They're a lot better. Like you said, like the whole, like, this is when they open. This is what happens. If you don't get an appointment, I'm sorry. It doesn't mean I don't want to do your hair. That's just how it goes. And so I've been very firm with that, like sticking with this is what it is. Try again next month. It's fine. And I feel like it's a lot easier because one, I don't have to plan my vacations out for a year in advance because I'm only letting my schedule open in Austin a month in advance. That's it. And it's probably been the happiest that I've been with how my weeks have gone. Like, and I'm actually taking my days off, which is good, which normally does not happen. (laughs) I love that. I love that. I love that so, so much. Because if we can do the work that we love in a way that loves us back, Mm -hmm. I think that's the dream. That's the goal. And I think especially as women, as women of color, as um, children of immigrants, sometimes we can get so caught up on doing and and doing things that we really love, right? That's the thing Mm -hmm. Um, is that then our dream can end up like burning us out. And then what are we left with? Right. Yeah. So I'm so glad you're here at this level because like April, we need you cutting your hair forever and ever. So we need, <laughs> should, you decide, <laughs> should you decide to do that? No pressure, right? <laughs> We're here to support you in all your evolutions and everything, but yeah, just, I'm just so inspired by you and how you do your work and, and the joy that you obviously have for the work that you do that can only be alive because of the way that you do the work that you do. Yeah. I think that's so important. Thank you. So to finish up, I have a couple questions I've been asking everyone at the end of our interviews. So April, the first question is, what is courage? How would you define courage? What does courage mean to you? I feel like to me, courage means that you're willing to do what is right, no matter what, no matter what someone is saying, no matter if people are telling you there's an easier way out if you just do this this way, which may not be the right way, but it's just feeling like you can stand up for yourself and for other people's, no matter the noise or what anybody else is saying about you to you, any of that. I love just that. Of course. I love that. Uh, the second question is, and you can interpret this however you want to, but April, what is your North star? Oh my gosh. You know, <laughs> The one my I feel like my North Star is morality. Mm. And the reason I say that is I want to do as much as I can, but I want to make sure I'm doing it the right way. Mm. And I want to make sure that I'm not doing anything that's ever going to hurt anyone or make me question my integrity later. I feel like that's the one thing that keeps me grounded. And that I always look to is like, I'm not going to do something because it's easy. Easy doesn't always mean it's bad or wrong, but I feel like just being very true and honest and doing what you can to just be like, I'm trying to explain this in a way that it's like, I hear it in my mind, but I can't make it come out. No, but it it makes sense what you're saying. Yeah. It's like, I just, I'm a, I'm a rule follower. Like (laughs) it's like, yeah, it's okay to break rules in certain ways, but it's one of those things. Like, I don't want to ever do anything that's going to hurt someone, you know, Mm. especially if I, I know that it can do that. It's just, I always want to make sure that I'm being honest in all my decisions and my choices. Yeah. I love that. And April, the final question is what advice or wisdom would you give to someone who's like listening and wanting to embark on a dream or do something that feels scary to them? What would you say to them? What I would say is you 
as far as we know, have this one life. And no matter what you believe in, what's going to make you the happiest? It should be doing something you love. And so if you have a dream and you're worried about it not taking off or not happening, you won't know until you try, at least try. And it doesn't matter how old or young you are or what you look like or anything, just do it because it could be the best thing that's ever happened to you. Have that courage, no matter what anybody else is telling you, just do it if that's what you feel your heart is telling you. I love that. That's beautiful. April, before we say goodbye, where can people find you? Where would you like them to find you online? To keep it easy, you can always go to my Instagram and it's at underscore the Hafrican, H-A-L-F-R-I-C-A-N. I've had some people who are like, the Hafrican, I'm half Puerto, Puerto Rican too. And I was like, I'm not, but I love you. <laughs> <laughs> and we'll have all of April's information in the show notes as well. But April, just a wholehearted thank you for being here. And thank you for doing the work that you do in the way that you do and for being such an inspiration. So thank you. You too, Sharon. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much for joining me this week. If you liked this episode, please share it with a friend, subscribe or follow where you love listening most. And if you haven't yet, leave a review. You can do this on Apple Podcasts, CastBox, Podchaser or Podcast Addict. Until next week, love.